Welcome to episode 66 of the Digital Fabrication Experiment. I'm Winston Moy, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Eddie Kramer and Chris Lee. We're a couple of CNC enthusiasts, and we'd like to bring you into our conversations about what we're making and life in the shop. Eddie, Chris, how are you two doing tonight? I'm doing good. Uh, I'm under pressure from lack of pressure, which I'll explain in a little bit. But uh, how about you, Chris? Uh, I'm, I'm doing good. I, I wasn't feeling too well uh, for last week or so, so I'm starting to feel better now. Um, not cover related or anything. Uh, so I haven't been doing too much of the night shop stuff, uh, just day shop or day job stuff. Um, so we can talk about that a little later. But how about you, Winston? Uh, doing pretty good. Um, I actually got some machining done in the garage today, which has not happened in quite some time. So all in all, it's been a productive weekend and I'm feeling pretty good going into this uh, podcast recording. So I'm glad everyone's uh, back to good health. And, uh, yeah. Could make it tonight. It sounds like your compressor is not in good health, though. Yeah, so I think everyone kind of knows my compressor saga. I started off with the cat uh, reciproc- reciprocating piston unit, which great compressor, but it couldn't doesn't really keep up with the Neo when I'm running like everything that demands air on the Neo, which is basically for aluminum machining uh, with the MQL. So I, I had that for like the first month. I had the machine and kind of you know I could get through with it. I just had to kind of give it a rest every once in a while. Um, because it can't really handle that duty cycle. And eventually replaced it with a scroll compressor, Eastwood scroll, which is a pretty inexpensive unit and works great as far as like keeping up with the Neo. It's like, it's quiet. I kind of checked all my boxes for um, uh, making the right kind of noise. It's a little loud when it first starts up and then when it blows down at the end, but I basically created a bunch of mufflers and routed the drain lines into like a sound deadening tub and everything. So I got all the noise under control. I really liked how quiet that guy was. Um, but it's had like major reliability problems since day one, mainly just eating through pressure switches, which turns out they're really cheap to replace. Eastwood sells them for like 20, I think 25 bucks to replace the whole pressure switch. Um, and it's under warranty for three years. So I actually haven't had to pay for any of them yet. Except I did, I did buy a couple to have spares because they're they can be a long lead time item sometimes. But anyway, so I've kind of gotten to the habit of just replacing the pressure switch every three months, and just you know, just like the just the consumable, right? Like the oil and the filters at this point. And other than that, it's been like working really well. Um, but it's right, it literally hit the one year mark this last week, and it's like dead, dead now. Um, I'm not sure what's wrong. I think it's either the motor starter. The, like the solid state starter is fried or the air end is maybe seized up because like the electric motor, it tries to start. I can hear it's energized, um, hear a little bit of mechanical noise, you know, like the slack being taken out of the shaft, but it just kind of hums at that point and I can tell it's not rotating and then the breaker blows. So not something I can fix, like despite what I've been doing so far. I pulled, like, I know some other people that had that compressor and have had problems with the, the big caps uh, in the start circuit, like kind of just breaking down and then cracking open. So I, that's the first thing I checked. Mine looked great. And uh, I have spares of those on hand just in case. But um, anyway, so I'll call these to it. I, I want to get it repaired since it's under warranty or get it replaced and it'll become my backup compressor. But I'm now basically back onto my, going to get a Kaiser uh, thing for real now. And I'd kind of gotten pretty far along last year. I talked to Kaiser, kind of picked out the, or the range. There's like two models that I was looking at. Um, I was trying to decide if I wanted to go integrated or modular. 
So I already have like a refrigerated dryer and stuff like that. So I could really just go with the uh, rotary screw unit and their tank. Like I want the, at least that part integrated. Um, so the, like it was down to do I get the one that has their integrated refrigerated dryer or just run the one I have here. So I'm leaning towards basically getting the all-in-one um, just so it'll all be under Kaiser's maintenance. You know what I'm saying? If something goes wrong, they can fix anything that goes wrong with my air plant if I do that. Yeah, so right now I'm, I'm back on the cat. It's kind of weird because I, I was mid-job when the compressor went out. And I was thinking, oh, you know, I'm not going to be able to finish this uh, ice tray <laughs> and ship it on time. And then, like, overnight, kind of as I was falling asleep, I remembered um, that, hey, I'm, I'm doing plastics. The cat works fine as long as I don't have to run the ethanol MQL. Like, it has no problem keeping up with just the air bearing, you know, the, basically the air blasts through the spindle. Um, so anyway, see how I took that out of the shed, hooked it up, hadn't run it in a year and it basically fired right up and it's running the Neo right now. It's my kind of contingency backup presser. Um, I was able to finish the job and I can take on, I can keep doing the mold work. That's not going to be a problem. Um, even with that compressor, but I need to, you know, like I said, I need to get back on the proper compressor so I can keep doing aluminum jobs too. So that's, uh, that's my task for this week is, is select a compressor and get the install rolling, get the electrician out here to upgrade the circuit for that. So anyway, yeah, glass, I guess, when was the last time we recorded? It's been almost three weeks, right? I think about a month. Oh yeah. So, um, yeah, so I had some interesting work this month. Uh, see what I, I did, uh, as a, most people know that if they follow me on Instagram, I did a job for John Grimsmo. got to do the, uh, plates for his. He has like a blade quench press. I think he's made a couple of videos on YouTube about it um, that they use as part of the heat juke process. So he's kind of decided that the the plates, that, I guess they call them cold plates, that actually contact the blades so they become consumable because I guess they get beat up after a while. And um, so anyway, so he wants to have spares on hand and um, and kind of a, you know, a supply when he needs to get more of those made. So uh, he gave me the opportunity to bid on that job, and I made four of them, uh, finished them last week, shipped them off. I think he'll probably be getting them. They just got through customs this weekend, so hopefully he'll get them this week. And uh, I did like a, like his two requirements were um, the tolerances were not too tight except on the flatness and the surface finish. Like he said, these have to be like super flat, super smooth, no tool marks on the, on the face that touches the blades. So uh, I went ahead and, you know, did 6061 aluminum and um, did MCD finish on the face that that uh, the blade sits on. So I think he's going to be pretty happy with that. I mean, it's going to end up getting scratched up in that use, but I don't know. If, I don't think he cares about that as much as the, the uh, you know, no, no basic, no tool marks. Um, they could get, I guess, impressed onto the blade. So it comes out, it's like red, it's cherry red, right? When it's going onto that cooling plate. So I mean, that's, that's, I've, I've seen your, uh, your posts on that, that MC definition. <laughs> it's, it's freaking beautiful. So I'm sure he'll love it. Yeah, that was a fun project. And that was actually, it's the second job where I've actually got to run the MCD for, you know, something other than just testing it and playing around with it. So, um, like it's, a, it's the first job was great. I couldn't show anything on that one. Um, uh, this one, he, you know, he was very uh, open about, yeah, share as much as you want on Instagram. And he even reposted some of my stuff, which is great. Really appreciate that. Uh, and hopefully when he gets them, he'll, I hope, I hope they show up on his YouTube channel at some point. Um, Cause they look amazing. Like 
you know, even though I made it myself, it's, it wasn't me. It was that MCD finish just looks like fantastic. Oh, the, so the other thing I worked on and it was also MCD related was I finished, I've been working on a, uh, just for fun project to make a, a sign for my sister's uh, party barn that she just commissioned. Basically they just finished it and got it open. Um, uh, this is, you know, I don't know if you, if you live in Texas, you would know <laughs> people have ranches, have the party barns. They're just, you know, just like an outdoor yeah. barbecue picnic place. Yeah. It's not like a commercial space, just, just for family and friends, but, uh, she wanted a nice sign for it. And, um, so I basically just made it like a all aluminum 18 by 12 inch by one inch, no, by a 0.75 inch, uh, aluminum sign, had it powder coated and then, uh, came and did like an MCD facing pass over the letters so that those would be mirror and then took it back to the power coder and had a bit of clear coat over the whole thing. And, uh, you know, I was kind of nervous having involved like a third party, like the powder coder, cause you know, finishers can always mess up your parts. Um, and the main reason that's actually why I went with powder coating versus anodizing. Cause I, if they messed up, I wanted to be able to strip it and do it again and again, again, until we get it right. So, uh, fortunately they got it right the first time. And, um, and the other thing, like I, this was my experiment. I wanted to see what clear coat would look like, like clear coat powder would look like over the MCD finish. And it looks great. Like it kills, you, you know, you lose the mirror finish, but you end up with a super bright, but matte finish. Like it looks amazing. It's hard to, I can't, could not capture it on camera. Um, you have to kind of see it in person, but it was even better than I expected. So yeah, I'm really like happy with it. The, it pops in a different way. Yeah. And like outdoor, especially like yeah. the way it catches the light, it's just, it's, you know, I'm glad I did the MCD. Like, you know, you could probably would have done the, got away with the carbide base mill over that. Um, but I don't think it would have had that same, it would have been, it would have been a little bit different even with the powder coating over. Um, and, and the other thing is, you know, I didn't want any tooling lines visible on that part. So, um, that took care of that for me too. Yeah. So she's real happy with it. Uh, it was nice to see it like in its final, like to actually took it out there today and they installed it right after I'd left and sent me some pictures, which I just, I posted on my story, but it looks, looks really good and we'll see how it holds up. Um, actually, no, you know what? So originally it was going to be outdoor. They wanted to put it outside, but she changed her mind at the last minute. Cause she's like, no one's ever going to see it. Cause no one ever goes like through the front door. <laughs> they always go through the, like the, one of the big side doors. So she's like, and there's no place to hang the sign there, I guess. So anyway, she ended up putting it inside which is you know now everyone's gonna see it which i i like that idea and it'll hold up a lot better <laughs> even you know even though it's kind of we went with powder coating that was safe for sun exposure but i think now it's gonna you know if she's doing with it doing an indoor installation it's gonna last like it's gonna look brand new forever which is really gonna be nice so that was fun um that was a lot of work for that sign so it was like uh I think I probably have almost six hours of machining in and then um, like three trips to the powder coaters or four, or actually four because you know, pick it up, drop it off or drop it off, pick it up and then machine the MCD and then drop it off again for the final powder coating and then pick it up again. And they're like, uh, that's like an hour round trip for me. I don't have a powder coater that's close. So, uh, yeah, it's fun. Does not sound like a commercially viable product idea. <laughs> yeah, so I I've been uh, posting about, it and I've actually already had some requests to quote some work. Um, so, you know, we'll see if they like my price. Like to me, to do those signs again, it's like 
depending on like probably the, the part that was hard, like took the most time um, of my time, right. was actually the modeling because doing the letters of, I don't know, maybe someone has a, actually Dan kind of told me a couple of alternatives, but what I was doing is um, I used, you know, fusion fonts, put some text on, raised text on it. Uh, the text is like half inch high or no, I'm sorry. It's uh, eight millimeters high, the large, the tall text. And then there's some short text at the bottom. Um, that I think it's like four millimeters tall. To give you an idea of like the size of the letters. Um, and I wanted to like use nothing but like a three millimeter, one millimeter tool to do the machining of that letters. So I uh, had to go in, you know, I modeled the letters and then went in and you have to tweak every single letter, like all the sharp corners have to add a fillet, you know, a 1.51 millimeter fillet. So the three millimeter tool can fit in there and have to do that to every letter. And you know how fusion is like when you start putting letters on a model, it gets really slow, like, and especially on the cam side. So that took, that took a long time. Um, so yeah, long story short, if anyone wants to sign, it's going to be like, like that, it's going to be 25 to $3,000. <laughs> like that's about, I think that's like about how much time I had in it. So, uh, yeah, we'll see if someone wants me doing it at that price, I'll, I'll do it. But, uh, yeah, I don't plan on that being my primary, uh, <laughs> primary, uh, work for the Neo at all. Yeah. I'm just staring at this on your Instagram right now. It's a beautiful sign, but yeah, I, man, that is out. a lot of work. Yeah, I mean, you know, having done it once, like I know this next one would be faster. Like I kind of know how to make it faster. Um, I was you know, pretty conservative on the machining. Again, I was really focused on tool marks, like not leaving any. Because um, I was thinking I didn't want the powder coater to, to blast, to media blast it. Uh, well, let me back up a little. So like my original plan was machine it, do the MCD finish, take it in, get it powder coated and just have them wipe, you know, how they spray the whole thing. Then they can wipe the letter faces, like wipe the powder off before they bake it. And, um, so I was thinking like, it's going to be in its finished state, like before it goes to powder coating. But, you know, after I talked to them, like, no, you know, anything we rub across here, it's going to scratch that MCD finish. And, um, they said, why don't you, you know, let's pick, they should just like powder coat the whole thing and then go machine it. And then we'll put the clear coat over it, you know, a second, a second bake. Um, the other th nice thing about that is there was a little bit of orange peel on the, after the first gray coat. So when they did the, the clear coat and then rebaked the sign, all that went away. So it's like, it's perfect. <laughs> Finishes amazing. Um, <clears throat> but the, what I was going to say now, but the, oh yeah. So they end up media blasting it, which, you know, if, I knew they were going to do that. I didn't, I could have been a little more aggressive on the machine and got that done a lot faster. Like could have gone ahead and left a few, some tool marks on there, skip some of the finishing and just let them deal with that with the media blast. So lessons learned. Yeah. I think I could actually make one a little bit faster next time, but, um, yeah, it was fun. It was a fun project. I, I think I'll do that again. I like the other test I want to do now. So they answered that project answered my question about what is clear coat powder coat look like over MCD. Now I want to find out what clear coat anodizing looks like over MCD. So I'll probably do a test piece and send that off the anodizer and just have it done. So I know, um, so do you have an looks, anodizer locally? I have, uh, no, not locally. I, I, there's one in California. I think I'm going to send it to, uh, just for like, I don't really care who does this because it's not really a, 
it's just a test piece, right? They mess it up. I don't care. Um, I don't do enough anodizing to really motivate me to track down a local anodizer, but eventually I'll probably want to find one. You know, now that I have a powder coater, I'll probably want an anodizer too. Um, I've been lucky. Like most of the work I've had that ultimately was going to end up anodizing, the client takes care of that. Like they, they do all the post finishing. So they didn't even ask me to take care of that. Um, which is, I think that's not the norm. Usually they, they want the job, the machine shop to take care of all that. Right. Yeah. You got uh, super lucky there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was cause, uh, uh I gotta be careful, but <laughs> it, it was, it was more than just anodizing. Like some of this were RF parts and they get, I can't remember what they call that. It's not chromate. Um, they end up looking like gold, right? So they get that kind of finish. So I think they wanted to handle that themselves. Mm. But, um, I got to say, it also really uh, speaks to your tramming job on the spindle. Yeah, that it got trammed right before I did that sign. Just, <laughs> so uh, I've kind of gotten in the habit of, um, if I have like a big MCD job, it, I basically had two because I had the sign and I had I knew I had the Grimsnow job. So I just went ahead and checked that. And uh, it's been good. I haven't have, had any issues with the like having to adjust the tram. Um, like, or haven't had any issues with it changing from the last time I checked it. Right. So we'll see. Maybe if I, that's probably more like if you crash the machine, you got to check it. But, um, I just kind of wondered, you know, I know there's wear and stuff like that. You know, things do change over time. Right. But, uh, on the rails and stuff like that, but I haven't seen anything measurable like that we need adjustment. So yeah, it's, uh, the MCDs, I think, um, you know, I, I'm looking for opportunities to use it more often. I really love that finish. And it, it's scary though, having to ship parts like the Grimsome parts. It's like, how do you pack them? How do you, cause you can't, you know, anything that touches that surface is, uh, so I end up basically just, you know, I think the only thing safe to touch it with is like poly wrap plastic, which is, I just basically wrapped it in plastic and then package it up. I hope that survives, you know, I've actually never tried to ship a finished part like that with that finish on it. So we'll see. Um, no, that's not true. I did the other one. I forgot about that. They didn't say anything. I should ask them. I didn't get any complaints about the first one, but it was actually a very small area that was in like the one on the Grimsnow plates, the whole plate, you know, it's an eight by eight inch plate that's MCD finished on one side. So quite a large area. If you get any scratch there, it's going to be like very visible. I don't know. Like I said, it's going to get scratched for sure in use based on its application. So maybe it's not as critical for him, but I still want it. You know, it's Grimsel, right? I want it to look perfect when he unwraps it. So yeah, hopefully, at the very hopefully. least, you want at least one pristine Instagram. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm hoping, like I said, I hope he gets it this week. Very interested in his feedback on that. I, I suspect like the next time I make those for him, he, he might decide doesn't really need MCD, just go ahead and do the carbide finish. The back side of it's uh, the side that faces the water. And so these are water-cooled quench plates, right? So these, he's got a water jacket running through um, the mounting box, I guess, that these go on to. So one side of the plate faces water and the other side faces the blade. Hmm. So I, you know, I'm curious if he, if he thinks that finish on the other side is sufficient for his needs, in which case I, that was the 14-millimeter carbide Datron carbide face melt, two flute for that one, <clears throat> which also that leaves a pretty amazing finish. It's not mirror, but it's like super, super smooth. You know, for the to protect the surface, 
we use this thing at work. It's like a blue spray. And uh, on some of these lenses that we mold and machine, we have to protect them because if they get scratched, the customer won't take it. Oh, yeah. So th- we sprayed this. It comes out of a can and it, it sprays it. It leaves like this blue coating on it and you have to let it dry. And then once it's dry, it's pretty resilient against like, you know, uh, people dropping stuff on it and whatnot. And then when it's time to go, they can peel it off and the surface is, oh, okay. the lens is protected basically the, the whole time of yes. transport and stuff. So I don't remember the name, but the spray can, I know where it is at work. I can just take a picture on tomorrow and send it to you. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to have that. I'll give it a test here. Yeah, they're very, they're very yeah. specific about that spray too. So it's, it's a customer request that we have to use that for transporting and moving the part around the shop. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, if it's for optical surfaces, it sounds like it'd be perfect for MCD. Um, yeah, so I got to give my, like, I was really worried about the powder coater, like, messing up that MCD before they sprayed it, and they did great, did a great job on it. So it's like, <laughs> I kind of sweating all week. About that. <laughs> it's very but, scary when you hand off your part to, like, an out party, whether it's for heat treating or anodizing or power. Because you, you never yeah. really know, like, are they going to take care of it as much as you? So, like, usually, like, up front, I'm always like, hey, uh, it's really important that you don't touch the service. Or, or, you know, I have to make it very clear, like, hey, this is going to be a problem if, if you scratch this or drop this or something like that or if you're not careful. So, yeah, exactly. um, And I'll even be like, like, hey, if you need to charge me for, for handling it, charge me. But I don't want to get this part back with it, like, you know, scratched or nicked or something like that. And they're usually pretty, like, okay, we understand, like, okay, no problem. Yeah. Yeah. But like the only other thing I'm kind of, it's not a big deal. Um, cause I can always resurface, I could hit that sign again with the MCD. Um, it has like four counterboard holes for, uh, the mounting bolts. So those are easy to pick up with the probe. Those are basically my reference, uh, bores for probing. Um, of course they, they were altered a little bit by the powder coating. Right. Um, but not enough to matter, especially since all I, I would be doing, like if I have to resurface that sign in the future, if, you know, something happens to it or weathers or whatever, I can always just throw it back on the Neo and do another facing pass with the MCD and get that mirror right back, um, which is kind of nice because I had a couple of people tell me um, when I posted about it on Instagram that, you know, they they were concerned, like the MCD finish is so smooth that the they think the powder coating over that part is going to eventually flake off. Like there's not a rough <laughs> enough surface for the powder, which is, you know, very possible. Yeah. Um, yeah, to be honest, it, you know, it looked great unfinished like un like if that was left MCD finish, it would also look really really good. It looks I think it looks better with the mat over it cuz you know how like MCD it's a true mirror, so depending on the angle you're looking at it, it can look really dark. Mm-hmm. It picks up all the reflections around it, so it's almost like the words the letters disappear in the right if it's, you know, reflecting the right or the wrong kind of uh scene. <laughs> You can't really read the sign, right? Yeah, it's, it's too, like dark if you're looking bright. at it in some angles. Yeah, exactly. Like I mean, yeah, so that fix the powder coating fix that it looks amazing. Um, but it looks like at the right angle with the MCD finish, it looked even better. Like it was like stunning. Like looking straight at it, right? It was. Ugh. It was like, like right when I pulled it off the machine, I was like, oh, <laughs> it's like this is all. This is the only thing I ever want to make from from today forward. Right? <laughs> this kind of stuff. But, but I know, you know, it, it's not a durable, <laughs> it's not a durable finish, especially on a sign. So anyway, um, I think the only other thing I've, so I've got, uh, another instant machinist out there, um, 
I think he's a Casey photo on Instagram sent me uh, he, he's also kind of into watch making. He sent me a, a fun project that I'm kind of helping him with that I think I'll be, you know, he's asked me to record it. So we'll see where that comes in, but um, it's a movement holder. I posted a couple of stories about it and right now we're just, we're still in the kind of tweaking the model a little bit to make it a little more manufacturable. Uh, but I think I'll probably be making the prototype sometime this week. We'll see if I can. It's a small enough aluminum part. I think I can run that with my current compressor without a problem. And then, uh, like the, the upper part's Delrin, so it doesn't. The part that comes in contact with the movement, it's like a we went with the Nomar material for that, and then a you know heavier metal base. So it's a really cool shape. I like the I like it. Um, and it's his design, not mine, but uh, it's gonna be fun to make. I think. Uh, that's, I think that's pretty much it for me. Um, I think I, I originally was going to talk about shopping for a new machine, but I'm, that's on hold right now because, uh, this was like, I originally had like going into summer when I was budgeting last year, that was when I thought I'd be ready to pull the trigger on a second Neo. Um, but you know, having almost six months into this year, um, since we switched to the Seedle for the, my main jobs, it's like, I'm not having any problem keeping up with just one Neo. So like now I'm trying to figure out, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe there's still a second machine. Maybe it's just not Neo, maybe it's something for, you know, different kind of work. So, uh, that was kind well, of, been uh, the, you know, yeah. if you need to occupy some spindle time, uh, I know a couple guys in California who'd be happy to fly out and, uh, help you out there <laughs> yeah so you guys yeah sorry you guys um we had to cancel the original uh neo commissioning visit so you guys still interested in coming out here and playing around on the neo oh, yeah 100 percent. absolutely i'm sitting okay. on like hundreds of dollars of flight credit that i have to use before <laughs> uh february or march of yeah. 2022 i i, well, I got my be vaccinated soon yeah, so I got my first vax. Uh, I go, I go for my second one a uh, week after next. So I'll be all modernered up. Nice. Um, yeah, and then yeah, so mid summer definitely a possibility. Um, I don't wait know till if I'm I... ready for the uh, San Antonio heat though. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, wait till I get my mini split. <laughs> wait till you hear that that's working, <laughs> and then uh, and that I have my compressor uh, upgraded because it's pretty the one you have. You would not enjoy being in the shop with the cat running. It's a little annoying but um yeah yeah i think once i yeah we'll figure get, out a uh, date and all that stuff so that, that's still something yeah. that's cool and i actually would like to check maybe some surrounding areas too um just like you know uh, neighborhoods and stuff like that so uh, it'd be cool to just kind of drive around and take a look not, mean, not saying that i would move out we... to texas but <laughs> i'm just saying i'd like to keep my options open because i don't know where i'm gonna end yeah. up so yeah, I mean, I, I think this is kind of a nationwide phenomenon that housing prices are kind of at all time high. But here, <laughs> even with all that going on, is you'd be shocked at how affordable homes are here. Yeah, like I, I've been now. looking, you know, <laughs> everywhere in Texas actually. But like, because yeah. um, I've been, I'll go on a, a few minute side tangent here. But I've been basically looking at housing market in California, and for a three bedroom, like one and a half bathroom. Uh, maybe fifteen hundred square feet. It's close to seven hundred to eight hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, if you saw what you could get for eight hundred thousand dollars here, you'd be shot. Right, it'd be like a you know <laughs> a mansion. Yeah, it, and it's insane. You know, just so I can live in the place that I grew up in and stuff. And 
Um, so yeah, yeah, it's been a thought on my mind, like, you know, and not just Texas, but pretty much anywhere that, uh, if I can move the shop, just like you, like put some machines in the garage and stuff and work from home. And that's kind of a yeah. sweet deal and it doesn't matter where I am. So. Yeah. And the weird, I mean, like the weird thing, I think other, like people I know that have moved over here from the West coast, like they're kind of shocked because the houses are nicer here. I mean, it's not just that they're cheaper they're, you get a much nicer house, yeah. even you know, even in the lower price band. Um, cause I think a lot of like, especially in California, those homes are old. Yes. Um, they're worth a lot. So nobody can afford to like, well, I mean, some people can afford to tear down and build a new one, but you know, it's like you get what you get. The price doesn't reflect the actual house. It's just the land. Yep. Right. Um, but here it's like, it's a new if you're home. paying a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's a new home and it's going to be modern and nice and, and, yeah, it's uh, like 800 bigger than you need. It's 800k <laughs> for a house that was built in like the 60s or 70s. Yeah, and it's like you know, two bedroom, 1500 square feet. Yeah, it's it, it's crazy. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was you know that kind of ties into the other factor on the machine purchase. Like, I think you know my wife and I were talking. She would be more comfortable if I don't get it. You know, if I'm going to get a second new, if I don't do it till we make a decision about where we're going to move. Um, probably that probably applies to any, you know, neo sized machine or larger or industrial machine. Like she wants, she doesn't want another one in the garage at this house, which is fair enough. You know, it's already pretty tight. She doesn't really want to give up her, um, her parking. Like she still has her half of the garage. The pressure's kind of off to do that. Um, even though I'm doing more business now than I've done so far, right? Since neo has been here, but, um, but now it's like combination of, me working more efficiently and the nature of the work changing so that the, you know, the volume can be much higher without, mm. uh, yeah, without basically running out of spindle time. So it's ideal. I don't know how long this is going to last, but like right now it's, it's the perfect sweet spot for one Neo, one guy in a garage. <laughs> it's like perfect. So yeah. you guys talk for a sec. I got a, my chair needs adjustment here. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Winston, I saw your little note on the thing. Um, no, I, I'm not eyeing Texas, but it's just like I'm eyeing everything. I'm just kind of, uh, you know, I grew up in California. This, this is I pretty much lived here my my entire life, so it's hard to think about leaving. But I don't want to be closed minded and think that I can never leave. Um, so, and I, you know, besides, I think Texas is one of the big things. Like, I think there's no income tax there, right? No, no income tax in Texas. Yeah, all we have is. Uh, Sales tax, and for if you have a business, there's a franchise tax, but the on gross sales, but the there's a very large exemption on. It. I think it's the first 1.1 million in sales. You don't even have. You just have to file a no file report. Huh. Like uh, you don't pay any tax. When yeah, go ahead. Um, no, yeah. So it's just obviously there's a lot of lot of good things about Texas uh, besides the heat, I guess, <laughs> and the humidity. Um, and I know a lot of people. Have, there's been a mass exodus from California to Texas, and some people don't like that. Some people do. So I've just been keeping my options open. I mean, it's really wherever you can make a living. But so would this be? You think after you've learned everything you can learn from your your jobs? Because it sounds like you kind of want to go do your own thing. I think. Remember, I uh, that's always been the bottom line for me. I'm kind of just like going through the career to, like you said, like gain the skills, get the things in my belt, learn in a professional setting how a business is run, right? Like on a massive scale, like how do I 
uh, scale up if I ever needed to. And I, I get to see that at my work because we're like 150 employees and it's not huge, but it's not small either. So I get to see all the good things and all the bad things. So I'm kind of like learning from that as well. Um, you know, we've talked about it before, but like I've always, SpaceX and, and JPL have always been the top two places that I've wanted to work. I think Tesla, I can also throw that in there as well. Um, so hopefully those, if that ever happens, I think after that run, at any of those companies, I would probably start doing my own thing, like in the evening again. But my stuff only. I probably that's when I would yeah. probably be like uh, Eddie and bring a, a new in the garage or something and start being able to pump out things at home again, um, and then kind of work my way up and, and stuff. And you know, I think we've talked before about I have a bunch of things that I want to make, and that's still I have my top three products that I have in mind. They kind of borderline everyday carry stuff, but not no knives or anything like that. Just things that I, I personally enjoy using on a daily basis that I want to make. So um, once I have that kind of career stuff all like kind of quenched, you know, like I, I, I did my goals, I hit all the things I wanted to do, then I'm going to pivot into doing my own thing. And I think for me, realistically, that's when like recording and, and video editing YouTube and all stuff would, would match more better, right? Like being able to do that stuff while making my own product, developing my own brand at the same time makes more sense than trying to do like a career and then have like a whole second thing that, you know, takes up so much time. It's kind of hard to balance in that way. So trying to be more realistic about uh, your, your bandwidth of what you can approach. Yeah, I think, you know, you guys are young enough that career matters right so but i think there's like opportunities with the skill sets you have like you could easily more than make a living just working for yourself yeah even if you weren't taking job shop just doing your own products if you, you know, come up with the right products uh you're very creative i don't see that being a problem um seems to be kind of like the golden era for that there's so many people doing good work and growing businesses from just you know things that look simple right but but the uh, I don't know. It's like their story like, combined with the quality of yeah. what they make. Um, not necessarily unique, like John, right? He makes knives. A lot of people make knives, but uh, you know, but, he's not hurting for customers. Yeah, that's it's, for sure. it's the way he makes the knife, right? That's what people care yeah. about, and I think that's a very yeah. important like role of it. It's like I can make you a pencil, but it's how I make the pencil, right? If if, uh, if how I make the pencil is it goes through this giant industrial like factory and it just gets spit out by. A machine that's lifeless right and it's just like three shifts a day and pumping out you're not really going to care but if i tell you that the pencil yeah. is made by hand by a person who's like blind or something right? there's like a story that kind of goes with it i think people are more uh connected to that because they can relate better than some kind of like massive machine of corporate uh, power or whatever yeah I'm, I'm sitting here holding a saga in my hand right now <laughs> and it's like I have Kelvin's uh, Urban Survival Gear pens, which I also love. It's like, that's the only pens I ever use now. I don't know. It's like probably way overspent on a pen, <laughs> but I have like zero regret about it. Yeah. Because um, I, I think about, you know, when I pick it up, it's inspiring to me, the, their story, right? Yeah. And it connects you to it. Yeah. Right. So that's, that's important. And I think for me, like, I'd be really happy just uh, having a modest home and being able to work from home because we're planning to have kids soon. And if I could be at home, like be there with the kids and, and the dog and like be able to work at the same time and kind of like flex the schedule to basically do everything like that to me is more important than making more money at some big company or something like that. Like uh, I don't need much to be happy, you know, like very little. So yeah. it's not going to take a lot. I, I'm very easy to please. Um, 
if your wife has a job that gets you insurance and you're golden, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know what I'm saying? For that situation, that's, that's, that's been a big help here. So, uh, so my, my wife still works, same place I used to work, uh, day job. Right. And so we still have, you know, we still have all the benefits. So it looks like I took a lot of risk, but I really didn't like retiring and doing this. Um, so we still, you know, I think other people have had a much harder time doing it. Um, we d- I didn't put as much on the line. It's like I said, right. you know, we kept most of our corporate benefits and all that stuff because she's still working. She's not ready to retire yet. So she's got a few more years um, before she's ready to look for something else. So that's, you know, that created a lot of space for me to do what I'm doing now. Yeah. Um, I don't think like 20 years ago it, when I was still trying to you know, climb up the corporate ladder that I would have taken that risk. Right. So I, that's what I got a lot of respect for younger guys like you and Grimsmo and Saunders that, you know, they basically, they started their career doing that. Like I couldn't even picture, like that wouldn't have occurred to me at that age. Like I just didn't think about it like that. Um, well, it's a different time too, right? Like even then I I was raised to think differently as well. Like it's like the, me like changing careers. I was like not even a thing back then. That's not even something you would consider, right? You, you, like to lose yeah. that much time you, you've devoted to one. It's like unheard of. And it's like, it's unprecedented in a sense, especially my family and, and stuff like that. But I think, yeah. I think I wanted another thing that I've been looking ahead at is like, why do I have to wait until I'm 67 to retire? And in my mind, I'm trying to develop a strategy where I can retire much earlier than that. Um, yeah. So I hate that word, by the way. <laughs> I, what I'm doing is not retired. Right, right. <laughs> so like we, I, we need a word for something like that where you're just not doing your day job. You're, you're just not just as hard as you used to. Right, right, right. It's like, it's like <laughs> not a career ladder path anymore. I'm just kind of like doing my own thing. Yeah. So yeah, I, I want to get to that a little bit sooner and I'm kind of shooting for like, you know, maybe 50 or something like that to, to get into that. So how do I ex- basically ex- expedite that process of getting to that place instead of waiting until the government tells me that I have to do it, right? So um, yeah. to me, that that's kind of like my next thing to incorporate as long as thinking with like the other things that I want to do. So, so I mean, but you're still currently doing very interesting work for... Uh, for the man. <laughs> so what have you been doing? What's uh, any interesting jobs lately? Yeah. So the, that you can talk about, yeah, like the, we got, I, we're getting a bunch of more five axis stuff and some, some interesting mill turn things. Uh, the mill turn job is kind of interesting because it's got a really deep taper inside of like a six inch part. So I had to develop like a custom profile, send them out to a tool grinder to get uh, custom blinks made that fit into like a, a boring bar holder um, so that that's been kind of a cool thing, and then the five-axis stuff has been. Um, this is material called Duratron. It's like a type of plastic, but it, it honestly feels more like compacted resin. It's very hard to explain. It's like polyamide or something like that. But its uh, brand oh, name yeah. is called Duratron, yeah. um, and it really sucks to machine. And we have this job that's like plus or minus two thousands. So we're thinking the only way we're going to nail this is if we can do this on the five axis all in one shot. So uh, the material is only three eighths thick. So I'm making basically this uh, like a window clamp, uh, almost like you have one static portion that has a whole square window on the back. I'm going to be able to reset, uh, pop the material inside this pocket and I have a clamping plate that goes on top to hold it completely. And we're going to be able to machine from both sides um, 
through these basically two windows in the clamp and the part moves so much after machining that I'm going to have to keep it in that clamped position to give to the CMM guy to to get the report otherwise <laughs> it's it's never going to work the second I cut it off it's basically just going to contour and, and jump everywhere. So we have to keep it restrained with tabs uh, for the report process before we can cut them off and stuff. So I needed I needed to have this clamp fixture. I can't just clamp it on the bottom of the material because it's going to move too much. So I'm, I'm yeah. hoping restraining it like this on all basically uh, about a quarter inch around the material uh, is going to be enough to keep it kind of like from moving too much. Um, so that's, that's, that's my only worry right now. The part is not crazy difficult. It's got some... You know, the more I see, like, these aerospace engineers from these big companies, the more I'm starting to, like, yo, man, like, you can't you can't just throw this radius. It's, it's almost like I knew exactly what they did. They basically just hit the fillet button, and they just started selecting all these lines, and they just hit enter. And it, you know how, like, sometimes it comes out with a bunch of these weird connections? Like, basically really difficult to try to machine this feature out because they have like three intersections going with radiuses at like different heights and stuff like that. It would have been much better to create um, like a surface or something and to, to cut it away that way versus just selecting all the lines in the intersection and letting the algorithm figure out how to like create the radius. So a lot of these parts that I'm getting, they all look the same. Like it's like, why do you have this complex intersection of radiuses that don't need to be there but that's just me assuming that they don't need to be there because i don't know what this is going on to right like i can't just be yeah. like i can't i'm not going to make it so it's always like these really an easy part that's not easy because of this one stupid feature that that i don't believe <laughs> that it needs to be there but i believe it's just because they got lazy or something or, or whatever but um so yeah so hopefully that works out i'll be working on that next week and stuff um and we we did get uh, that. Remember that heat mapping job I was talking about, where they were three D printing yeah. stuff. So three D printed. Yeah, it's in the talks now. So we signed the NDAs, and we're we're in the middle of contract and trying to figure out what's the plan here, if, because we only want to take this job if it's something that we're going to be getting in the future. Because otherwise, it's going to be like a a one month learning for for basically no return in the long run. Like we're going to spend the time yeah. to learn it, and we're never we're not going to get more work after that. So we're trying to work that into discussions with the contracts and stuff like that about how we can make sure this is going to be good for us. Otherwise we're, it's not worth it for us to take this job. Um, and we've out of the eight pallets that we filled on the five axes, we have now overloaded all of them. And like, we actually need another five axis because that thing is basically uh, for the next eight months, it's filled. It's nonstop. There's so much work on that thing that spindles constantly running uh, we we ran out of pallets. We're actually uh, you know uh, thinking about buying uh, more pallets so that we can just swap them in and out because we have a lot of fixtures that are built into the pallets themselves because we have basically contract jobs that are constant like you know 100 parts every month. So no point for us to try to take oh, um, the the fixture off the pallet and put it back on and stuff and and risk losing location. Because some of these things are, are more complicated, like how to pick them up, because they're not they're not metal parts or like fiber or something like that, and they need to be probed uh, at certain positions and, and work coordinate offset needs to be altered per part and stuff like that. So it's good, like you know, we, we got the machine not almost like six months ago, and we've been able to fill it and like make keep it busy, keep it running. We we thought eight pallets would be enough, but we've already like filled it up in, in no time. 120 tools, we've pretty much filled that up as well. So I think it's been it's been exciting because like we got to show them like, hey, 
it's worth the money. Like, look at what we're able to do and look at what we've been able to accomplish and stuff like that. So they've been considering getting a second one without the pallet uh, as like a prototyping one so we can throw things on or we might get another pallet machine because we were using it and we can definitely need it. So that's been fun. Um, but other than that... Can that be bar fed? Or is that strictly a pallet? Strictly machine? pallet. Uh, yeah. Okay. yeah. And we would need it as a, as a pallet because of the stuff that we're doing. Yeah. Um, hey, I'm going to circle back to that Duratron. Yeah. So I guess it's similar to Captain, right? So um, polyamide. Yeah. I wonder, um, you asked me about—is that the material you were asking me about the ceramic tooling being a yeah you were exploring? Yeah, yeah. And I actually emailed them, and they emailed me back, and they said it'd be great for it. Um, e oh, okay. Even for the glass-filled stuff, they said it'd be okay. Oh, so I was wondering about that. So the question right now, you know, the only restriction that. Uh, I've only had one email exchange with them, but basically what they told me was like, you can run this on any machine. It's just, you can't use call it like holders. Like you have to use uh, like a set screw Precision. or a hydrostatic, like, you know, something better or like a Rego grip yeah. or something like that. Um, yeah. And make sure there's no run out. Right. I, cause I told well, them that run out and they, it's run. So, I mean, if you run it at their, the speeds it's designed to run at, it's an extremely aggressive yeah. cut. So it's going to, you know, pull out, it's going to be, uh, issue if you have less than perfect uh, tool holder um, you know, grip on the tool. Right. So I, I basically gave them a list of all the machines that we have, right? The Dusons, the, the fourth axis, five axis, the three axis, and then uh, some of the Haas machines that we do have. And then we also have some older, uh, I'm blanking on the name, oh, the Moriseki machines. And he was yeah. like, they can all run it. You just can't use those. You can't use a call holder. You have to use these special holders. And then we have feeds and speeds for, and he was giving me like the RPM to run the tool for every machine. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, okay. He was telling me like, okay, so for the DVF run at 12 K for the, for the Haas VM6 run at 10 K or run at 12 K, whatever. He, he gave me like this whole list. I was surprised cause I wasn't even expecting that off of the first email, but, and then uh, he gave me like the order sheet, right? Basically tell us what you need, tell us what design and we can make. So I, I think we're going to go through with it. I'm just need to finish picking out what type of tool that we're going to use to test. But um, because the the peak stuff, the glass filled, we do um, Ultim, which is like this material that's right. basically like weatherproof and everything proof, UV proof. So you can, it's a lot of materials used for covers on aircraft. And it's basically sitting out in the sun all day. And, but it's really tough on carbide. And we go through so much of that material. We're constantly changing, basically, tool for tool life. And I'm, I'm, I talk to them about things like diamond coating, and, and and things like that. But when I brought up the ceramic, we thought it'd be it'd be worth it to try to see if it's worth the price, right? Because it is way yeah. more expensive than than carbide, obviously. Like, uh, but if it makes sense, if it does last ten times longer, then it's worth it, right? Or twenty times, or whatever it is that they claim it to be. So. Um, it's worth a try. So when I saw you cutting with it, it, it looked crazy, and, and I reached out to you and got their email and started talking to them. So I'll I'll keep you guys updated well, the next time. I'm sure we'll have. I it. haven't done anything crazy with it, Marvin. On the other hand, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, done some crazy. Well, the like, thing is, every I can't time that tool survived. Every time I see Marvin do something, I'm just amazed. But I also am just like, well, I don't even know if I can replicate that, right? Because it's like that yeah. current is like its own like world of like everything right it's like so every time i see that i'm always like shit that's amazing but is that something that i can do like i never know like is it possible on other machines or not yeah i mean he you know he's taking every bit of advantage of his spindle power yeah 
um, and fast rapids on that machine. So it was almost like, you know, he was cutting, I can't remember on the six millimeter tool that he, so he started testing the six millimeter tool diameter ceramic. And then I think he, he's testing, he tested the eight millimeter diameter, um, full width slotting or full depth, full flute depth slotting and aluminum at insanely fast speeds. <laughs> and, uh, I think he's got some bigger ones to try. Um, larger diameter tools so so far he's like uh the tools taken anything he's thrown at it it's pretty impressive i don't think he's broken anything. so is is the ceramic the... just basically the weak point is vibration like if it chips or something or like what's the negative of it so i don't know that much about the zirconia tools the white ones they told me like i would be okay with mql um marvin you know said real well for the cuts he's doing you definitely need flood because i you can actually see the when he's doing that slotting test, uh, it looks like, you know, he, he's using oil coolant in the current and it looks like that oil is smoking pretty hard. Yeah. <laughs> and those slotting cuts. So that, you know, that's aluminum. So it must be generating quite a bit of heat. Yeah. Um, but he said that tool can't, I think that tool does have some limits on heat. Okay. Um, like it loses its strength if you go above a certain temperature okay. pretty quickly. Okay. But I don't know, like, um, I don't know how it, you know, if it's like, MCD can't take any chatter, right? It just, or any change in um, engagement mm -hmm. like during the cut. It's not, um, but I think this stuff's probably not quite as sensitive to that. Okay. Uh, at least, you know, watching what he's doing with it. Um, I, I can't believe that tool didn't snap. Because <laughs> if you hold it, like I have one here, if you hold it, it, it seems like the most fragile thing. Right. Like it's, it feels like air. It's like um, aero. What's that? Some aero gel. It's like super light. It feels like air. <laughs> yeah. It's like there's no way you can cut metal with this thing. Um, I, I'm assuming <laughs> though that that ceramic is just razor sharp. Yeah, it's right. super sharp and it's super hard. Um, but it, yeah, it's bad resistant, at heat right? distribution. So okay. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, don't don't quote me on that because I'm I, I may have misunderstood what you're saying, but I think that's like I think I think it has some limits on heat like as long as you keep that under control um the surface okay. you know the sharpness should last pretty much okay. 10 times at least 10 times as long as carbide okay. in aluminum um probably much better in plastic because i figure it's like this is the pick three or pick two of the three category right like yeah if, if you're gonna have then it's like it's more expensive it cuts really fast uh but it's bad at this i can't imagine that this material is going to be like the best of everything because it's like the perfect yeah. material so I think what it's designed to do is, or at least that particular, the white one, the zirconia, um, is for probably more for production machining, where you need to run fairly accurate parts with very high throughput. So you can you can run really aggressive cuts with that, like I think better than you could do with carbide of equivalent geometry, mm -hmm. um, and aluminum in particular. And the thing is, you know, it it basically never or so slowly wears that you hold your tolerances even after long production runs, right? You don't have to be compensating the tool because of wear. Um, and that's exactly what I need it for because we're, yeah. we're doing like yeah, hundreds so. of parts and, and stuff like that. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah I'm excited. Well, I'm excited yeah. to try it out. So you get that plus the, probably the higher MMR or MRR versus carbide. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know the downside, I guess is it's, it's a straight shank tool. You know, I think, most machines doing production, they're going to be running insert tooling, right? Much bigger tools. So at some point, probably a carbide tool would be faster because it's three times the diameter. <laughs> but um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they they may make your inserts too. It, like that, it, out of that it works out perfect because we don't usually use bigger than like quarter inch end mills anyways because okay. a lot of the plastic things that we cut uh, they're thin walled. So like it has pressure. Or there's issues when you use too big of a tool of like tool pressure and yeah. it'll sometimes chip or it'll engage too hard even if you take a light cut or something like that. So uh, smaller tools are better so, for us anyways. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So so the application I was taught like. Um, it's not really the right tool for the Neo, I don't think, uh, normally. Um, but since I'm doing all this plastic work, what I really, it's kind of a side effect of the, of, or a side benefit of that tool is it's much different than carbide. Um, I need to run some fairly long reach, small diameter, like three millimeter and smaller diameter tooling for the mold work. And I want something that's super stiff, isn't going to deflect at all. Uh, even if I'm running it, you know, I'm not running it, it, ceramic speeds i'm not looking for that mr i'm looking for a tool that's not going to chatter on me mm -hmm. um even with kind of excessive link to diameter ratios so i'm exploring like if that's going to be a good solution for some of the finishing stuff i do on the on the uh molds and actually some of the roughing too like down at the bottom of the cavity where i need a small diameter tool to fit between the geometry like there's usually not enough room to run anything bigger than three millimeters when I'm down there at the floor. Um, but I still need like really good surface finish. So I can't have like the tool deflecting and leaving a bad finish or violating the geometry. So I'm hoping that's going to kind of maybe be one of the tools like, well, <laughs> bad pun, but a tool to add in my toolbox, right? Um, when I, when I get some of those challenges, so still working with the vendor on that. Um, you know, they want me to test the, their standard off the shelf tool just to see if it, works well in my application and i'm still working on the speeds and feeds they gave me some new data to try uh new recipes to try and as soon as i get time i'll do that and if it's good then i'm gonna go ahead and order some probably some custom tools from them and give those a test we'll see they're gonna look ridiculous on the neo because i think they're gonna be like skinny like just like the harvey long reach they're gonna look like that but that white's right yeah <laughs> When it yeah. spins, can you even... Oh, you can still see that there's something there. Okay. Oh, yeah. I mean, it doesn't... It looks... You know, it's white. It yeah. looks beautiful, actually. Yeah. Beautiful tool. Um, but other than... You know, it behaves just like any other carbide tools uh, as far as on the Neo. I can't, I can't get it into... Like, I don't have the spindle torque um, and probably axis torque to push that tool into its normal operational envelope like the Kern can. So I, I'm not getting its main benefit, which is the high MRR. That it would definitely pull out of the collet mm. on the Neo if I tried to run it at there. You know, if I tried to push that side of it. Um, but like for these other applications where that's not MRR that I'm chasing, I think it actually could work, could be a good solution on the Neo. For, you know, specialty, like particularly challenging geometry. That's cool. So, I'm excited. So uh, thanks for... Uh, yeah taking the plunge on that one for me yeah i hope it works <laughs> hopefully you can share yeah. uh, something you know these results if not pictures probably not pictures but we'll see yeah definitely i mean um, i don't know if that thing can cut ink and right it probably can't no i think you can use it in steel uh, not those yeah they have different ceramics for hard metals okay um yeah that's that whole different i don't know what those are okay. but the ones that have the molten molten ink and coming off yeah cut, yeah you know? yeah yeah, because we, no, have, not, we have, wouldn't want to do that with the zirconia. That's not the right material right, for that. Right. Okay. Yeah, I think that's some sort of nitride. Um, oh, I was going to ask uh, Winston, how about you? What have you been up to? 
started machining stuff, and I'm actually kind of curious, even though it's a terrible idea, about running a ceramic end mill on a Shapeoko. Um, the run out alone would kill the tool, but um, the last job that I got was some carbon fiber. So um, I went the other route. Instead of buying a really good expensive tool, I bought a bunch of really cheap <laughs> tools. Um, so I got a couple, like a 10 pack of um, uh, two millimeter end mills uh, for cutting composites, fiberglass, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, from Amazon. The crosshatch uh, cutters, or whatever they call those. Yeah, the sort of like the um, the, the TAS rougher, like yeah. it's got a serrated or a broken edge, uh, and it's it's just ripping uh, the fiber out. Uh, so that's what I've been playing around with this past weekend, and I've got about an hour, hour and a half into one tool, still going strong. Uh, so that's um, the the one thing that isn't going so well is that um today was actually quite a hot day um it seems like summers decided to show up uh, a couple weeks early and um on the shape oko thermal expansion is a little more noticeable um not in the sense like you're only moving a couple thou here or there um but i had to rerun a tool path and when the tool came around to touch the part again it was touching more on one side than the other um, so just the, the belt stretched or the frame stretched and, um, it's kind of what's pushing me to want to switch to a shape Oko four, um, because structurally everything there is aluminum. So everything will expand proportionally and you're not going to get any weird expansion contraction. Um, the shape Oko three, you've got a steel front plate, you've got an aluminum gantry, uh, you've got the belts, you've got MDF structurally holding everything together. So depending on how everything stretches and moves, like across like a 30 degree Fahrenheit delta, um, like it'll go out of square um, if you're really pushing it in the extremes. So right after we finish this podcast, I'm, I'm probably going to run back into the garage and try and finish the um, part before the garage cools too much. Um, so remind, yeah, it's, remind me again, which one... Which shape echo is the one that has the linear rails on it? Is that the four? That's the shape echo pro. pro. Okay. So three is is what everyone's familiar yeah. with. Um, with the new architecture, the hybrid table with the MDF and T slot slats that um, go front to back on that frame. There's still V wheels um, on extrusion. Uh, so that architecture with the hybrid table, you can put linear rails on it and turn that into the shape echo pro. Or you can put V-wheels on it okay. and turn it into the shape Oko 4. I'm with you now. Um, but going forward, that's our common architecture, and the difference will be linear rails or V-wheels. Okay. Have you put a lot of time in on the Pro, uh, like test cuts and stuff? Not as much as I want. Um, I have a project in my video queue that was made on the Pro, um, one of the earlier uh, prototypes, actually, and it's it's gotten better. Um, we've ironed out a couple just production inconsistencies and improved our QC. Um, so I'm not even using the best of the best and it was still pretty good. Um, the, the rigidity is super nice, uh, yeah, just when you're imagine. surfacing. Yeah. Um, but as with any DIY machine, it's, it's only as trammed and square as you make it to be. Yeah. Um, so your mileage may vary, but, <laughs> um, Pretty happy with the platform. I mean, it was pretty amazing. Uh, but, that, like, even with the Shapeoko 3, when, like Vince 
added rails to his design. Like he was able to cut some impressively large pieces of aluminum on that. Um, you know, came out pretty pretty decently. I would definitely say. So yeah, I think that's a good. Like if I was gonna if I bought a shape ago, I would definitely get the pro. Like for the stuff I do. Um, you know, if you're gonna be doing metal. Um, Nah. The the only place that I wouldn't get a pro is if you lived like right by the ocean. Yeah, um, that's true. <laughs> because I haven't done any anything in the garage in a couple months, and I came back and I looked at some of my tools, like my countersink tool, like all of, all of my high speed steel. Like there's there's like little bits of rust that are just starting to form on it, which makes me feel bad that I've neglected the tools for so long. Um, but that's the kind of just long-term where if you have a humidity issue that's going to show up on anything steel, steel anything yeah. cast iron Do you guys is um, the pro have a uh, reasonable bearing carriages or is it kind of all sealed uh we just recommend you throw some uh i think it's mobile vectra number two on the rails themselves um, on it yeah okay and so as long as you, you keep on that like if you run your finger across them and it's bone dry you know you you should probably put some oil on it yeah um but there's, it's not like the Neo where it's like every three months, uh, you put one pump or whatever into the, the bearings. Yeah. Um, it's like the usage, the usage that people will put on a machine varies so much, at the uh, the hobby level. Yeah. That we can't really decree, and people aren't going to track their spindle hours, so. Um, yeah, I think it's kind of just know, on them to. The Neo bearings see a much in. higher load, even just. You know, just carrying the carriage around. I mean the. Yeah, even without engaging the tool, there's just it's a lot of mass to move around on those bearings, the machine itself, right? Mass, and yeah. I bet you there's some preload on those bearings. Yeah. So, and also, I think you know, I think that the, the greasing process, you know, it's much to renew the lubrication. It's also to purge any chips that have got they're trying to get in, right? It kind of pushes them out of the bearings. Yeah, it's it's kind of like keeping positive pressure. Yeah, exactly. Like in a room, yeah, you try and always force more <laughs> grease just, into the bearing. Yeah, just looking at the the crap that comes out when I grease, it's like, oh yeah, <laughs> I probably should do this more frequently. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's kind of. Did you um? Are you following exactly the three month regimen? Or are you? Yeah, so I pushing I, out to four. So no, I, I I've never gone more than three. Um, I may start greasing a little more frequently in the summer. Um, so I think it's also five hundred hours, like whichever you hit first, three months or five hundred hours. Um, but in the summer here, like. It, well, if I get the mini split, it won't be an issue. But like right now, the temperatures get high enough that I think that grease probably is getting close to its upper thermal limit. Um, so you know, I mean, some of it may actually be running out prematurely. So I got to stay on top of that. Uh, I see more grease on the rails, you know, when it's hot. So I know it's kind of, you know, it's, it's converting from the waxy state to the liquid state, right? Uh, just from the heat of the ambient heat. So, um, you know, I haven't seen any issues. Uh, actually, I saw my first Neo, uh, another Neo user posted on Instagram. I think they're just now replacing their bearings on the X, X, uh, X axis. Yeah. And their machine's old. Like, they've had it since 2016. So, that's, they, they seem to hold up pretty well. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. Do you know how many hours that machine has? I don't. Um, it's, I know it's used for production. It's, um, I, I can probably talk about it since you posted about it. It's uh, Motodemic. You know, they make the motorcycle headlight parts. 
Um, they make a lot of those parts on there, a Neo. And, um, and I know, like I, one thing I kind of wonder about, like they do, well, actually, I don't know. I, I just know what I've seen a bit. I get the impression maybe he runs like the same parts on the Neo. Like, uh, I don't know if he varies the parts. Um, but you know, so one thing you got to worry about long-term with the machine, if it's always making the same part, right? The wear on the rails is in one particular spot because it's always moving that part, you know, it's basically always going over the same areas on the table because you probably have a fixture in there, right? And it's, uh, I don't, I actually, I don't know if that's how, he probably does a variety of parts. I just only see the, I've seen the setup for one particular part, like the large disc that he makes the headlight. I think it's the ring for the motorcycle headlight. Um, so he makes LED, they make LED lighting, like upgrades for motorcycles. That's their product. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I know, I think he's on his, I'm pretty sure he's on his original spindle too, um, which is really good. So, yeah, he's doing something right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think the linear rails it's it's not the working in the same spot it's if you have a lot of uh short stroke oh, applications yeah. like yeah. interpolating holes you're just really rolling over the the same exact bearings it's dry for a prolonged period yeah. of time um i've been doing some reading on the the high wind linear rail um pdfs just to read up on them and study um and there's there's a lot of like subtle considerations I hadn't thought about, but yeah, Datron has yeah. the same recommendation. If it says if you're doing adaptive clearing, um, like a lot of adaptive clearing, small moves that you need to occasionally do grease distribution runs. You know, basically just move full axis, like jog or whatever, mm -hmm. to get the grease redistributed evenly on the rails. Um, you know, so most of my stuff, like I actually consciously move stuff around on the table um, when I'm doing job shop stuff with the vice like mm -hmm. this is vacuum held i can put it pretty much anywhere and i i try to remember to like okay let's put it in the upper left corner today and tomorrow i'll put it in the you know i'm trying to give it pretty even wear but i don't know i'm probably overthinking it <laughs> you know what i'm saying but um yeah the molds are always in the i pretty much always do those in the same area of the table but they're they're almost full table anyway so that they're that's actually probably ideal case for grease distribution job <laughs> yeah you know the machine will travel eventually from yeah. one side to the other. Yeah. Um, but also with the Neo having vacuum work holding, that's kind of ideal because you could, for a smaller job, put it anywhere. Yeah, so. exactly. That's what like so when I'm using the Saunders mod vice on pallet, right? I, that's vacuum held. I just I can pick wherever I want to put it, right? Um, within you know, it's like six different really six different locations or nine, I should say, that it'll fit um, where it's covering you know the right vacuum grid and everything. So yeah, I do. Yeah, I tend to either move it to a different location or change the orientation. I haven't got so crazy where I just like slap it on the table at some odd angle because that'll actually work, right, with the probing and the adjustment that the Neo will make for rotation. I should do that. Just make a video of it, show like how crazy you can get, how sloppy you can be, and still have an accurate part. But, um, you know, I'm telling you, I'm spoiled on probing. Well, we're past an hour. Yeah. Do we want to save the fusion cam discussion for next episode? Yeah. Teaser is like, I think, you know, we're recording it a little late here. So this is probably not news, not a surprise to anybody now, but um, originally when I put this on the topic list, uh, it was fresh a couple of weeks ago, but you know, the April release of fusion um, got some really good updates for 
the cam space. So anyway, we'll talk about those a little bit more in the next episode. But if you haven't been following the release notes and you're a Fusion cam user, uh, make sure you check out the details on the April release. I wanted to add, a, you know how you said you bought a bunch of cheap end mills uh, for the carbon fiber part you were making or whatever? There's this site that I found called carbidetoolsource.com. And there's a couple, like two guys from Oregon that make basically end mills from their own shop. And they do everything lights out and automated with like Fanuc robots and stuff. Um, very cool. But their their carbide MLs are com- really competitively priced in my opinion. We've, we use them a lot for just like our whatever tools, like for roughing and stuff that doesn't really need a finish. But they actually do a really pretty decent job for their price. Um, very fast shipping and stuff like that, but something just to check out, you know, another source for okay. some, yeah. some cheapy end mills and stuff that are made in the U S. Yeah. I, um, I feel the same way about the, I, I mentioned before the Cosiera PCB tools. I, those are my kind of go-to cheap price, but really good quality tool for, um, at least a small, like my experience has been with one millimeter and smaller versions. I've never tried any of their, well, I think I have run their one eighth on the Phantom, but, um, but like for finishing, I even use them on the molds, like the really small sub one millimeter tools. Because you know, I don't want to invest in an expensive tool because I'm when they get below, especially like 0.5, the odds of breaking one. <laughs> yeah, I just don't cry when I break one of those because they're like it was like four bucks. Yeah, um, but they're really good. And they actually, I have not. I think I've broken one on the Neo since I started using them. And I broke three just handling them <laughs> you know what I'm saying? putting them in the collar or taking them out of the container like you drop them and it's like it's over because they're like little little hairs but um yeah it's funny but yeah at that price i i, I just i order them like 10 20 30 at a time exactly yeah and uh, yeah uh, so i recommend yeah that's you know find a find a supplier like that that can get you the tools there where you're more concerned about um them lasting you know, just for the job, right? You don't necessarily need the perfect tool for everything. Yeah. I mean, I, I found them tool. because they were the guys that made like a 12,000 end mill uh, when I was making oh, wow. that little uh, mold for the Bantam contest. <clears throat> so oh, yeah. it was like a five pack for like 30 bucks. So yeah. it was like, yeah. that's exactly what I wanted because I knew I was going to break like 10 of them to get to, <laughs> get to make that cut and stuff. So um, no, but they, they've been a good, uh, source for us like really fast really cheap uh really decent quality end mills um, for just normal normal you know daily cutting and stuff um, yeah they've been great that's good yeah. so all right well i'm gonna wrap up guys so i'll say good night yeah uh great chatting with you as always i'm gonna get back to machine and carbon <laughs> <laughs> don't hold your breath buddy <laughs> <laughs> all right i'll catch you guys later good talking again